As you see in our bulletin, uh, our text this morning is from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And uh, I invite you to turn there in your Bible if you have one. Uh, if you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, that should be found on page 814. I'll read this for us and then just invite you to follow along. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let us pray. Lord, we come and we ask that you would be with us by the power of your Holy Spirit as we have read your word. Would you be present with us now as we consider your word, that we might see Christ become like him and be a light for him. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. A long time ago, 1806 in Massachusetts, there was five Williams College students that gathered near the Hoosack River one afternoon And uh, they met together, uh, one sophomore and four freshmen. They met together to pray and to talk about missions, something that really wasn't something that was being done in America at the time. Pretty much all missions were local home missions, uh, reaching new places in the United States. And they began to discuss missions, and they were praying, and then all of a sudden a thunderstorm comes in. They're kind of out in the middle of nowhere, so they take cover under a haystack of all things. And when the rain leaves, they continue praying, and they're discussing missions and how to do this. They particularly have an interest in the need of the gospel to go to Asia. And so as they pray, the oldest one, the one sophomore in the group, his name's Samuel Mills, he tries to convince, he asks all the other four to commit their lives to going and spreading the gospel in Asia. He had made that commitment himself, and he was trying to convince them all to do that. And as they discussed this idea of the gospel going to the ends of the earth, particularly, again, Asia, he looked at them and he just said to all of them, it's like, we can do this if we will. That's what he really, truly believed. Now, this prayer meeting that took place uh, is later known as the Haystack Five prayer meeting. How many of you had a prayer meeting that got named? Yeah, uh, Usually, if something gets named, something big came from it, right? And in this case, that's what happened. Uh, This group of students would, uh, in just a couple years, really begin what is the first student volunteer movement in America. Uh, They called themselves the Society of Brethren, and their main focus was prayer, and specifically prayer for missions. By 1810, just four years later, uh, they started the first missions organization in the United States, They needed PR help uh, because this name is not so great, but it's the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions. They were clear on what they were doing. It just doesn't roll off the tongue, per se. Uh, Even though maybe it doesn't roll off, they were very proficient in what they did, though. In the first 50 years of existence, they spent 1,250 missionaries overseas. That's more than two a month, full-time, from college out of recruiting from the 23 universities that existed in the United States at that time. That's pretty good work. 
Uh, their first missionary that they sent, from what I could gather, was Adoniram, I can't say his name, Adoniram Judson, uh, perhaps the most famous Baptist missionary of all time. So in 50 years, they did that. Uh, and all of it grew out of the, the fact that they saw an urgent need for the gospel to go to all peoples uh, throughout the world. In fact, you could, uh, it's, tr- it's, it's true, historians will tell you that all U.S. mission organizations can trace themselves back to this one. So they did all this because they saw an urgent need around the world, and the gospel needed to go forth. If you're thinking, how does that translate here? I would say the motive behind that is very much the same motive that we're tracking in this passage right here. We're in the middle of Matthew, towards the end of Matthew chapter 9. We're looking at verses 35 through 38. And Jesus is really laying out here uh, in his thing, but also Matthew's helping me. They're really laying out for us the fact that the gospel needs to go forth to more and more people. People everywhere near, need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you think about this passage, it talks about Jesus being out everywhere doing ministry. And he sees these crowds and has compassion on them. And it's a really big need. And it all kind of funnels down to verse 38. And you come to this word, therefore. Because of all, because of all of this is true. Because all of this exists, therefore, Jesus says, pray earnestly. So we're going to focus our attention this morning on praying earnestly. Uh, In fact, if you're a note taker, uh, we're going to focus on this imperative to pray kind of in three ways. So if you're a note taker, we're going to talk about why we're to pray. The second is the composition of our prayer. And then what do we do? You know, the application, like, what do we do with this? So, why do we pray, the composition of our prayers, and what to do? Now, if you're reading along, and if you read this carefully, you look at verse 35 through 37, there are a few reasons that Jesus gives to pray. And I want to kind of try to summarize those by saying there's an external reason, and a reason that exists outside of you. As you look outside at the world, there's a reason that you see, there's an internal reason, something that should be going on inside of us as we look at what's going on inside of Jesus And then the last one is an eternal reason. So let's begin with the first reason, which is an external reason. I I said earlier, Jesus has been doing ministry nonstop. He's traveling all over the place, and he's preaching, he's healing, and he's going from one group to the next. And everywhere he looks, it's the same thing. Needs. Needs persisted. No matter how much ministry he did, there was always more people who were hurting more people who had no clue about what it meant to have a relationship with God. And then as we get to verse 36, uh, Matthew paints us a picture here. He says that these crowds of people that led Jesus to this point of pity, he says they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. It's an interesting picture that Matthew paints because it definitely tells us one thing. It's like, these people are in trouble. They're hurting. Their current state is an issue. But I think that's clear. But I think that when he adds on this statement, like sheep without a shepherd, I think that he takes the metaphor one step deeper. You know what's always true about sheep? They're always on the verge of trouble. <laughs> like, they're always in trouble. They're doing dumb stuff all the time. What's, what saves them? A shepherd. But these are people with a sheep without a shepherd. If you leave sheep by themselves, 
Like, they create ways to get caught in thickets. They, they wander off. They get lost. They'll starve themselves. And one of the things that is always happening is they become victims to predators. The idea here is, like, they're harassed and helpless, and impending doom is on the way. Death is kind of the certainty for what's going to happen. That makes the metaphor seem a lot heavier. Not only are these people hurting and without hope, but they're destined for death. If you're looking for a reason to pray, Jesus is giving us one. Uh, There's millions of people who are harassed and helpless. They're hurting. They're troubled. Uh, But even worse, they don't know God. They don't have a relationship with him. Uh, you could say, what are the problems Jesus is looking at? They're, they're numerous. They have all kinds of issues. The same kind of issues we have today. But the number one problem facing them is the same problem, number one problem facing all humanity today. And it's the number one reason we need to pray. And that is because people live and die without ever knowing Jesus Christ. They die apart from Christ. That is the number one reason that we should be praying. I... I think it's important to stop for just a second because there's no telling who in this room is probably relating to the fact that my life has troubles. My life is troubled. Things don't go well. They're not right. And I feel hopeless or helpless. There's also people who are sitting in here like, I know that I don't have that kind of relationship with God that the Bible talks about. Uh, I don't believe like the Bible says that I should. And I actually know that I am sinful, and this isn't sitting right. And I, you know what? I can relate to that. I can remember a time when I knew God was displeased with my sin, and I also knew God was calling me to himself. I have good news for you if that's where you are. Today is the day of salvation. Just like it was for me in uh, 1998, is that for us today, if you don't know Christ, today, can, as I told the first service, you can stop listening to me the rest of the morning. Like, if this is where you're at, you, you can put your faith in Christ. And uh, I said, some people may take me up on that just not to hear the rest of what I'm saying. But I encourage you, if you don't know Christ, but you're feeling, it's like, I, everything that he's talking about right there, I'm looking for a solution to that problem. That solution is Jesus himself. But regardless of where you fall into this metaphor, Jesus tells us this is, an, this is a need, an external need, something that exists out there. It's a real need, and we need to pray earnestly. Now, the next reason that we're supposed to pray is an internal reason, and this is how I think it relates to how we're supposed to be channeling Jesus' love for people in our own lives and giving it away. If you look at verse 36 again, it tells us that Jesus was moved with compassion for people. Why in the world would Jesus be moved with compassion for strangers? Because he loves them. Uh, He loves them. It's also what moved Jesus to pray for people. It's what moved Jesus to preach for people. Um, And we should not only share in Jesus' love for our neighbor, but we should also, likewise, be led to pray. Uh, I was recently reading a sermon by John Piper uh, from 1982, uh, and he in that sermon, talks about he had just recently visited some friends on the mission field, and uh, it was kind of a sad time. He was visiting them in there in the, at the hospital because their four-year-old little girl had pulled uh, boiling cooking oil onto herself, 
and as you can imagine, uh, devastating burns all over her body. And uh, he said that she was living in isolation in a sterile room, completely naked. And for weeks, her parents were only allowed to look at her through a window. And he said that he felt tremendous pity while he watched that little girl's mother just show pictures to her through the window as tears just rolled down her face. If the pain and oozing flesh wasn't bad enough, the separation was almost unbearable. Uh, John Piper does, usually does a pretty good job of internalizing and looking at things through a spiritual lens. And he said it had him thinking and that he asked himself and tested himself by saying, do I feel that pity for my unbelieving neighbor or for my unbelieving colleague, for my unbelieving classmate? He was making a point for his congregation that they must feel similar compassion for their neighbor who has these real eternal and physical needs as much as he had empathy for that mother because those are real needs. Jesus' heart had gone out to these people He had compassion. He had been ministering day and night. And this is what he sees. He has pity on them, and he does something remarkable. He turns to the people right next to him that have been with him the entire time, and he says, will you please pray pray earnestly? Will you please pray earnestly? Uh, I don't know what causes you to pray, like what makes you wake up and pray or pray at any time during the day, but usually... We pray for things that we love, for people we love, for things that we care about. Uh, Jesus asked us to see our neighbor and to love them like he did, to have compassion like he did, and to pray for them. Not because you're better than them, by the way. No, he wants you to pray for them and have compassion for them because you yourself know what it's like to have Jesus look on you with compassion in your helpless state. You are the one who can actually pray that way. You understand. So we don't pray because we're better. It's so you recall who we are because of Jesus, because Jesus looked at us with pity and love. So we pray earnestly, because it is a big need. And I think the earnestness is befitting the compassion. The last reason that we pray is an eternal one. I think this is probably like the most encouraging of all the reasons, honestly, uh, because Jesus promises that it's going to work. In a way, we're praying for a sure thing. Uh, you look at what he says in verse 37. It says, the harvest is plentiful. If you read much of the Bible and you can dive into that imagery, what he's saying is there are tons of people, lots and lots of people out there who will respond to the gospel in a positive way, that they will put their faith in Jesus. So pray. You pray, and you can bring this down, so to speak. Uh, I like a sure thing. Uh, that's, that's kind of like a sure thing. In verse 37, we kind of have uh, some good news and some bad news. Uh, Jesus has told us to pray because the harvest awaits, and we're encouraged because if you read ahead in this story, not only is Jesus encouraging us and promising this is going to happen, Jesus is currently on a mission to make sure that it happens because he's going to die for people in their sin and he's going to rise again from the dead. But the bad news in this, uh, to go along with the good news, which is the plentiful harvest, the bad news is there's a scarcity of laborers. 
There's a scarcity of laborers. But Jesus says, here's the solution to this bottleneck. He says, the solution is prayer. I'll just ask us this question. I'll ask it once and say it in five different ways. Do we believe that? Do we believe that the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, and if we pray that God would send out laborers, that he will bring in the harvest? Because if it is true, and we say that we believe the Bible that this is true, why are we not praying that all the time? Why are we not always praying for laborers? If it's true, we should be praying for this all the time. Well, here's the good news. You can. You can do this. The youngest person in this room to the oldest person in this room can pray that prayer. And honestly, I find that a relief because uh, if you tell me, if, if you were to talk to people and say, well, I can tell you how we can usher in the kingdom, how we can see lots and lots of people come to Christ. I'm waiting. It's like, how many experts in Bible and theology do we need? How many experts in apologetics? How many experts in evangelism? Jesus, I just need you to pray. We can do that. That's really encouraging to me. So let's pray with confidence and consistency. In a way, like I said, we're praying for a sure thing. If we step back for just two seconds, what we see is Jesus is really concerned about people hearing the gospel. Uh, And he's giving his life for it. And he's asking us to pray. And we can do that. So there are some reasons. An external one, an internal one, an eternal one. Let's talk about the composition of our prayer. What should it look like? Uh, I don't care if it's a task around the house or something that someone has you do at, at work. If someone asks you to do something or tells you to do something, you don't like to be then have, having someone look over your shoulder and micromanage you the whole time, right? So I'm going to need you to do that and then, then micromanage you the whole time. You're pretty much going to be annoyed and ask them to please leave you alone. No one appreciates that. But there is one time when everyone appreciates some good micromanagement. And when is that? You're like, nope, I don't, there's never an exception. I, I, was, I would argue there's one exception. It's when we don't know what we're doing. When you ask me to do something, I have no idea. It's like, you're using a lot of words I don't understand. And you're asking me to do something that seems important. And I don't know what to do. At that point, I can use some micromanagement. Now, Jesus is no micromanager, but he does give us two instructions on this prayer. And he says, pray earnestly, and he says to pray for laborers. So how to pray is the first thing he says. He says, pray earnestly. I confess this to the um, first service. I don't know why I couldn't, but I couldn't remember if earnestly is an adverb or an adjective in this case. Obviously, it's an adverb, because adverbs uh, qualify and modify the word next to it, obviously. Uh, And uh, if you want to know what earnestly means, how this prayer is supposed to look, uh, earnestly, I was, I liked it when I read the definition this week. It says, with sincerity and intensity. To pray with sincerity and intensity. I think that's great, because it tells me how I should prioritize this prayer in my life, and it also tells me how my heart should be oriented right? With sincerity and intensity. Uh, Jesus conveys this point, I think, to tell us how urgent and important it is. I feel like Jesus, if anything, he's envisioning a serious and constant prayer 
for us about a serious issue, which is the need for the gospel to go forth. So as you consider potential applications of this, uh, I think there are several. Uh, I think one potential one is a very simple one. It's like, if it's supposed to be, if we're supposed to be praying this, and it's really that important, we're supposed to be probably doing this a lot, we should probably have a prayer list, mentally or, or on paper. We should know what we're praying for, who we are praying for. Uh, I think that the expectation should be that we pray often and that we think on this often. I think the other expectation, if you've ever tried to pray for something for any length of time, the expectation is that you're going to need to work at it. It's going to require some work. Uh, I think, and I say that because the implications of this passage as I've read it and thought about this week is that this should be a really big part of my life. Like, praying for the kingdom should be a really big part of my life. Not just the bonus. Like, this prayer shouldn't be the bonus I hit, you know, after I get in. Like, you know, our, our spiritual life is like a peak and valley, hopefully on an upward trajectory. And a lot of times, there are things that we only hit on the peak. You know what I'm talking about. Like, when was the last time you fasted? Okay? This should not be one of the bonus things. Like, this should be the Christian life kind of thing. So, uh, not a bonus. We can have a prayer list. We can think of this often, pray often, and work at it. And as I thought about this, as, before we move on to the, to what we're to pray, uh, it struck me this week that perhaps Jesus is using this as a teaching tool as well. Uh, this, this past spring, I helped coach my son's baseball team. You know, his first year where they're pitching. So, uh, there's a lot of dads helping. I mean, there's nothing like seven dads coaching 14 kids. Uh, I forgot, like, how much coach, coach speak idioms that are out there, right? Everything that you could hear under the sun, I was hearing it. Uh, but I was surprised to he- not hear one, you know, the practice makes perfect. You guys have heard that. Um, and if I would have thrown that out there, I would have had six dads ready to come back over the top of me. False perfect practice makes perfect and I'm like you're right that's that's the saying I messed it up and uh the whole idea behind that saying though is that if you do if you practice a certain way the right way you will create the right habits and then the hope is that you'll become a very skilled athlete at that thing I think Jesus calls us to pray with sincerity and intensity because he's trying to create in us some right habits so that we form some right thoughts. Because the heart of Jesus that goes into this command needs to be, that, that heart needs to be our heart. And what is the best way to get your attention? To make you concerned about something. You pray about what you're concerned about. Also, if you pray about something a lot, you'll be concerned about it. You know, the old adage like, uh, you don't care about the stock market. But if we take all your savings and throw it in the stock market, all of a sudden you care, right? So I think Jesus is using this as a teaching tool. Jesus is fully aware that constant and concentrated prayer will change you. It'll shape you and it'll move you. I believe that's part of the reason Jesus is doing this. So how are we to pray? Earnestly, with intensity and sincerity that overflows into our day-to-day life and habits. So that's how we're supposed to pray. But what are we supposed to pray for? Uh, It clearly says in verse 38 that we're to pray for laborers. 
If you go back in Matthew, all the way to chapter 5, where Jesus begins this very public ministry of his with the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is just laboring. He is a laborer. He is laboring. He is preaching. He is teaching. He's healing. He's casting out demons. He is stopping weather patterns like storms in their tracks. He's dealing with people's emotional trauma. He's calling disciples to himself as he goes. He's traveling everywhere. And then Matthew brings us up to the speed in this story, and he's looking at a crowd, and he's just devastated in a way. He, he is heartbroken in a way because he's having pity. He's having compassion because he's looking out, and it's like he's done all of this, and all the needs are still overflowing. And he needs help. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We need more laborers. He needs more people doing what he is doing, specifically more people sharing the gospel. So what does Jesus do? He turns to the 12 that he has with him right then, the men who have been there with him, who know what it means to labor in the gospel. And if I was allowed to paraphrase, I would say, Jesus looks at them and says, we need more laborers, so what I need you to do is pray your guts out that God would send out more laborers into the harvest field. Jesus, like I said earlier, he, he identifies the bottleneck in the kingdom, and he says, pray that this bottleneck would open. And so he asks them to pray. So I'm not going to mix words here. Uh, God's asking for more laborers, uh, and he asks us to pray for that. That needs to be a big part of our prayer life. I don't know how big it is right now, but it's a real simple prayer, and we can all do it. Again, this is the beautiful thing about this path. We can all do that. My five-year-old can do this. But I think it's important to note, we're not just praying for the increase of laborers. Let's pray for the increase of the effectiveness of the laborers that already are there. Pray that God would protect those laboring in the harvest field. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your missionaries. Pray for your elders. Pray for the mothers in this congregation. Pray for the fathers. Look to your right. Look to your left. If they're a Christian, they're a laborer, and we need to be praying for one another. We all can go out into the harvest field, and we all need encouragement, and we all need protection. So that is what, that, all that is the composition. Now let's talk about what to do, and I've kind of already stolen my thunder which if someone's going to steal your thunder, better you than anyone else, right? Uh, what's the most obvious first thing that we should do? Let me hear it. Or don't. Prayer. We need to pray. We need to pray. I studied 17, as I was preparing for this, I studied 17 different times in history that you might label as something we would call revival. Where God brings people to salvation in large numbers and even changes the culture in which they live. Without exception, you know what the common thread for all 17 of those times in history were? Prayer movements that existed before they started. Many times started very small. Sometimes grew to thousands. Sometimes they just multiplied into more groups. Sometimes they lasted for years. Sometimes like up to 100 years of prayer groups. Think about that. But they all started with prayer. Uh, I'll go back and reference the, that sermon I was reading about John Piper uh, because he was beseeching his congregation to pray. And 
he emphasized the need for prayer at his church if they were ever going to see God pour out grace and mercy and salvation like that. And this is what he says, and he's referencing this passage at this point. He says, God has willed that his miraculous work of harvesting be preceded by prayer. He loves to bless the world, but even more, he loves to bless the world in answers to prayer. It is God's way, before he does a great work, to pour out to pour a spirit of supplication upon his people so that they would plead for that work. Therefore, the sign that God is going to bring in a harvest at Bethlehem Baptist Church will be a widespread movement of prayer among you people. If in response to this message, there is no movement, no new movement to prayer, then I will not be encouraged to expect 1982 to be a year of harvest. So what should you do? You should pray. You can pray at home, pray together. I want to encourage you, whoever you are, you be the one to start praying for this with your small group. You be the one who sends out this prayer reminder to your Sunday school class. You be the one who adds this to your family prayer pattern. Be creative. All the ways to do this have not been created yet. But let's pray earnestly. And the last one... uh, The last thing to do is go. Go be a laborer. You may sit there and be like, I read this passage over and over, and it says nowhere that I'm supposed to go. It says I'm supposed to pray for laborers. Granted. Well, let me just, as I said in the first service, what if before the service, Chris Bennett, who was, you know, help assisting in worship, was over here before church started, and he's just standing there talking to people with a wad of $5 bills in his hands, just talking about how much money he has and how he's inventing ways to spend it. All these $5 bills. And I walk up into that group, and I'm like, hey, guys, uh, can I borrow $5? Uh, I'm $5 short of keeping my power on for my wife and my kids. So what do you think Chris should do? Should Chris pray for me? Yeah, he should. That'd be great. You think Chris May should pry one of those $5 bills out of his greedy little hand? Absolutely. I'm in need of that, right? Yeah, Chris isn't greedy. I I kid. But the implication from this passage is that uh, we may be the first answer to our prayer. Now, I don't want you to look down at your Bible. Someone did in the first service, and I called them out, so I'm serious about this. Don't look at your Bible. Jesus just tells his disciples Pray for laborers. What do you think happens in chapter 10? They're like, I don't know. I can't look at the Bible. The very disciples he commissioned to pray for laborers, he commissions them to be sent out as laborers. He sends them out to do ministry. It's kind of the flow. I think that teaches us a lot of what our expectation should be. We are to go. We are to pray as we go. We are to pray for the harvest and for laborers. I'll close with this. Um, The first time I heard that story I started with about Samuel Mills and the Haystack Five was probably like 2002, 2003. Uh, I was uh, on staff doing college ministry at Georgia Southern University with campus outreach, and I had uh, a small group that I was leading um, with many of those people you know. There's a guy in there named Josh Garrett, who's a PCA pastor at North Macon Presbyterian Church. There's a guy named Andy Gray, who's an elder in our church. There's a guy named Wes Crook in there, who was an officer in this church before he and his wife went to St. Louis for seminary training. 
And then there's a guy named Lance Hall. He's great. Just because you don't know him doesn't mean he's less great. But I had read this, and I went back to those men in my small group, uh, and I read it to them because I was like, man, this is like inspirational stuff right here. And uh, we talked about this, and we had been at Georgia Southern for years at this point, and we kind of were noting the fact that it just kind of seems dry on our campus as far as the gospel going forward and people believing. And we wanted to see revival, so we said, we're going to do our own prayer meeting. And uh, you know the worst time to have any kind of meeting on a college campus, right? A.M., just any time before noon. Well, we picked 6 a.m., which is the worst time you could possibly imagine, but we were busy. We decided to meet at 6 a.m. once a week at the flagpole in the middle of Georgia Southern's uh, campus, and we would pray uh, in the cold, in the heat, and it's hot in Statesboro, Georgia. Um, A weather condition in Statesboro is also gnats. Uh, That's just a weather condition in Statesboro, lots and lots of gnats. And we would, we would pray. We prayed faithfully. Uh, I was surprised that it lasted as long as it did. We prayed like over a year. I don't know exactly how long it was, but it was over a year. And guess what happened? Nothing. <laughs> like nothing. Like I don't, I don't, I can't look back and say for sure, like I know of anyone who put faith in Christ during that time. Uh, seemingly we failed but we we didn't fail I'll tell you God shaped us through prayer a lot Uh, God made us into laborers through that exercise Uh, God grew us in our love for our king and the kingdom and uh, by the time this was done it was the summer of 2005 uh, three of the four of us moved to Macon I was doing college ministry here for a while um, so, fall of 2005, we were all in Macon or Atlanta. And that fall in 2005 at Georgia Southern, just in the fall semester alone, they had over 20 people pray to receive Christ. And uh, I was a little bitter, probably. I was like, you would, God. You, you would do that. You know, it's like, he's like, I've been waiting for you not to try to take credit, Justin. Uh, but I think that part of, like, I don't, is that coincidence? No. But I don't know that it's necessarily even us praying. Was it the saints that were on the campus that fall in 2005 that were praying? Was it every saint that had prayed for that campus before I ever set foot in Statesboro, Georgia, praying? I don't know, but I know no prayer is in vain and that it works. I know that this is true, and if it's true, we should be praying it. So the question for us is, First Presbyterian Church, will you pray? Will you pray like this? Will we do the work of prayer that's often left undone? Will we persist? And pray, even if we're not seeing immediate results, would you pray for a harvest that you might not ever see? Because you very well be, could be praying for the next generation of this church. Would you pray for that? Let's listen to Jesus. He gives us promises that this will work. He guarantees it through his blood. So let us pray earnestly. And when it comes to us as a church, praying earnestly... I think we can confidently say, along with Samuel Mills, like, we can do this if we will. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that your promises are true. We thank you that uh, we've seen it come true in our own lives as you've drawn us to yourself. We thank you that you were drawn to us with compassion and love and grace. 
and that the gospel can be applied to any person's life. Lord, we pray that you would make us men and women and children who would pray earnestly. And it's our simple prayer. And we pray for laborers to go out into your harvest. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.